The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. You may be seated. Good morning. Okay. All right. Uh, Hey, I've been out of town for the last couple weeks. Thank you for that. My family and I were on vacation. It's good to be back. Uh, You don't realize uh, until you can't come to church, which is partly what we've all experienced this year, how much you miss being with God's people in person. So if you're online with us, I want to greet you, but I just want to say I'm sorry that you aren't able to be in the room with us. Uh, We look forward to seeing you uh, if and when you are ready to come and join us, but uh, it is good to see many of you. If you're online with us, welcome. We're excited that you're with us too. Uh, My name's Chris. I am the lead pastor. We have a lot of work to do today, so please grab a Bible or a phone or a tablet and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. 1 Corinthians 14 is where we will be. We read out of the English Standard Version. If that helps you, you can Google search for 1 Corinthians 14 if you need to do that. Uh, As you're turning to 1 Corinthians 14, let me tell you a little bit about me. I got saved when I was 16. So I was not raised in uh, a church per se. Uh, I got saved when I was 16 years old. And at the end of high school, uh, a buddy of mine invited me to uh, a a very charismatic mega church service. Uh, I'd never been to a mega church, let alone a charismatic mega church. And so he invited me to this service. And let me tell you, as somebody who uh, was not raised in that or had no framework for that, it was really something. I don't know if you've had a charismatic experience in a church that's pretty charismatic, but it was really something else. That was an experience. So we get there a little early. I'll just explain some things to you, okay? We get there really early. Uh, we get to our seats, and this guy comes down and sits right in front of us, and he, pulls up, he gets a chair right in front of us. The first thing he does is he takes off his shoes, all right? Uh, and I'm like, yo, if that's what's gonna happen here, If that's what's happening, I'm out of here, all right? A thousand people with no shoes on ain't my jam, all right? So I was was ready to go. The guy turns, though, turns to us, and he says this. He says, just getting ready. I was like, what? Getting ready for what? He's like, just getting ready, because this is holy ground. And I'm like, bro, this used to be a Walmart, Like, I, I think we're standing where they sold men's socks. Like, I, I don't, holy ground, I didn't quite understand, but that's what he was, and then the band gets up there. Okay, so the band, and the lights go down, and the fog moves in, and the lasers start to go, and all of it, you're like, you see the fog moving, you're like, here's the spirit, right? Holy Spirit's here, and, and, and then Shoeless Joe starts dancing, okay? He's just dancing around, all weird. People are wriggling like bacon in the aisles. I mean, literally, like, on the floor, wriggling around. People are running around with flags, There's flags all of a sudden. It's like a soccer match. It was very, very disorienting. And then here's the the part for me that was hardest as a new Christian, as somebody who hadn't been raised in that, to kind of swallow. uh, I heard somebody behind me start talking all weird. They just start going on, start talking all weird. And, and, And I don't know at that point, I didn't understand this. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't realize that they were speaking in tongues. And so then my friend who brought me, he started speaking in tongues And then everybody around the whole church, like a thousand people started speaking in tongues, started talking in gibberish is what it sounded like to me. Just like, it didn't make any sense to me. And literally my thought in that moment wasn't so much, this is weird. It was like, am I doing something wrong? 
Like they started speaking in tongues in this big cacophony of tongues. And I was like, am I supposed to be doing this? Did I miss something? I don't know much about God or the Bible, but am I missing something? That, that was my first encounter with the, the gift of tongues in my Christian journey. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. That's what we're gonna cover in our text today is, is the topic of tongues. And I just wanna get it out there right off the bat. This is weird, All right? This one's weird. Like there's some parts of the Bible that you're like, man, that makes a ton of sense. And then there's other parts that you're like, what? This one is a weird one. Okay, tongues is kind of weird. It's also one of the most controversial parts of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14 is one of the most debated about uh, chapters in this book. Now, there's no way I'll cover all of this in one sermon. There's no way I can cover all there is to say about tongues. So I, I mentioned in the, the weekly email this week that we're going to do a little Q&A. You can send a text in a message. We'll put a phone number up on the screen, 720-507-8687. If you, uh, that's our church number. It's also on our website. But if you have questions about tongues that don't seem to get answered, or you have, you just like, that didn't make sense, or I'd like to comment on that. If you send us your questions, we're we're going to record a podcast uh, this week talking about tongues, kind of digging a little bit deeper that we, then we can go on a Sunday sermon. So I just wanted to put that out there. There's the number. Uh, we'll put that in the chat as well, but 720-507-8687. Uh, okay, let's get into it. 1 Corinthians 14 is the only teaching in the New Testament uh, on the gift of speaking in tongues. It's the only place that we have a teaching about the gift of tongues in the entire Bible, and it comes in the form of a rebuke. Okay, so uh, you've got to remember what Paul has been doing here. The Corinthian church has gone way off the rails. They have fallen way short of the mark that they were supposed to hit as a church. And one of the ways that Paul has been kind of chastising them for the last few chapters is that they thought they, they were elevating certain giftings and abilities uh, that they thought were, were more spectacular or were more powerful or more honorable. They were raising certain gifts and at the same time suppressing other gifts. Uh, like So they would say the gifts of tongues and prophecy, those are like the varsity level gifts and then gifts of like helping and administration. Those are like the JV squad. They don't quite make the cut for the top tier gifts. But Paul, he's been giving sharp rebukes around this by saying that all of the gifts are necessary. All of the gifts are necessary. No one person has all of the gifts. Every single Christian has at least one gift and none of the gifts should be elevated or exalted over another. That's essentially what we've seen in chapters 12 and then into chapter 13. But before we can get to chapter 14, we need to lay a foundation a little bit, okay? So uh, this is, again, this is the only teaching section of the New Testament on tongues, but there are three stories in the book of Acts that have uh, the gift of tongues as well. Acts chapter two, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. Three places in the book of Acts that cover the gift of tongues. Let me go through these real quick, okay? In Acts chapter two, okay, Jesus has just ascended to heaven. The new church, the, this fledgling little church thing is beginning to do ministry. And in Acts chapter two, we find the account that we call Pentecost, Okay, Pentecost. This is where we get terms like Pentecostal. And, and, and in Pentecost, that day, it's the first time that we see the word tongues 
used uh, in, in this New Testament. The Greek word is glossa. That's the Greek word. Glossa, it means tongue or a language. That's what glossa in the Greek means. And in Acts chapter two, here's what happens. Christians, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire, which I don't even know what that means, fall on them. They are filled for the first time with the Holy Spirit and they begin speaking in glossa. Tongues. They begin speaking in tongues. And it says that those languages, they start speaking these languages that they don't know. And what happens is people around them hear them and hear them as languages that uh, make sense to them. Right? So it'd be like uh, they're speaking a language that seems foreign. They're speaking a tongue. But you're like, hey, that's German. Like, I know German. I took German in high school. That's German. But they didn't know that. They were speaking it. It was unknown to them. Uh, I, I take it, uh, I, I would take that gift in a heartbeat. Like, I love that gift. I want that gift. Speaking an unknown language, I'm in. I'm barely unilingual, right? I take that. Just whatever language, every time you travel, you just speak and they understand you. That would be awesome. We call this the missiological use of tongues, Okay, the missiological use of tongues. It seems to be a little bit different than what we're going to see in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14 uh, and what we're going to see in the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, but, uh, but Acts chapter 2 is, I speak in a tongue and you hear an earthly language. That's what Acts chapter 2 does. In Acts 10 and 19, Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19, we find accounts of Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, getting saved, which is a fascinating study that Gentiles, they didn't think that Gentiles, Jews didn't think Gentiles could get saved for a very long time. And then all of a sudden Gentiles start wanting to become Christians. They start believing in Jesus. And what happens in Acts 10 and 19 is they are filled with the spirit. And then they speak in tongues as evidence that Gentiles in fact could receive the spirit. So we don't find this when Jewish people become Christians in, in, in the book of Acts. We find it in two instances where Gentiles become Christians and then they speak in tongues as evidence that they receive the spirit. So it seems, as far as I can understand, that this is to be an evidence that the spirit can pour out on a people group previously thought unable to become Christians. That's, that's how I understand Acts 10 and 19. And then that brings us, that's all that we hear about tongues until we get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where tongues seems not to be the same as Acts 2, 10, or 19. Okay, Acts 2, tongues are spoken, it's languages, and they are heard by others. Acts 10 and 19, they, they, they become Christians. Jewish people or uh, Gentiles become Christians, and they speak tongues as an evidence of that regeneration. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it happens. And then 1 Corinthians 14 seems to be tongues, the gift of tongues, and, and it has been described as like a heavenly language or an angelic language or a prayer language. And, and that's actually the kind of tongues that really freaks us all out. It's the kind of tongues that freaks some of us out. Now, I, I say all of that. I teach you all of that to lay a groundwork here so that you're aware that's all we have to work with. Okay? Like, I think we think that maybe tongues is a huge deal. It's only found in four places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and those three places in Acts, and that's it. 
That's all we have on the gift of tongues, okay? Now, what that means is this. There's a lack of clarity here. There is a lack of clarity when it comes to the issue of speaking in tongues. And hear me, that's okay. Like, I know we all want everything to be cut and dry and and very mathematical and structured. And like, I know this is what the Bible says about this. And this is what the Bible says about that. But there are many things in the Bible that we just don't get everything that we would want to get. And I think God does that intentionally. And on those issues, I would always caution us to err on the side of grace. This is not cut and dry. And this is not well, everybody should figure it out this way because they don't. Now, uh, a little bit more theology. We will get to the text. It's a long text, I promise. But before we get to 1 Corinthians 14, a little bit of theology, okay? I want to give you three differing theological perspectives about the the supernatural gifts, these miraculous gifts, also the gift of tongues, okay? I'm going to give three positions. There are more positions. I recognize that there are gradients in between these positions, but let me give you three camps, okay? And I apologize if I misinterpret, mischaracterize, misrepresent these positions. Again, just give me grace in this. I'm going to try and make it make sense, okay? Here's three positions. First is what is known as the cessationist position. Gary mentioned this last week when he preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But the cessationist position uh, believes that the miraculous gifts uh, served a purpose for validating the message of Jesus during the early days of the church. But then after the death of the final apostle, once the last apostle, John, died, once that happened, the the foundation is laid, the Bible is written, and miraculous gifts are now no longer a normal part of the operation of the church. They believe that they have ceased. That's cessationists, okay? Uh, That's one camp. The second camp or the second position is what's known as the continuationist position, okay? Continuationists believe that the miraculous gifts continue. They continue today in operation in the church, and and very many of them believe that they continue in the exact same way that they continued uh, in the days of the apostles. And there are more gradients in the continuationist camp than I have time to get into. There are lots of different varying perspectives within this tent. Like some believe that if a person has not spoken in tongues, they're not actually saved. That's a pretty extreme version of continuationism. But they would say, if you have not spoken in tongues, you're not, we're, not, we're not sure you're actually born again, okay? Others believe that uh, non-tongue speakers, they, they might be saved, but they have yet to experience like a second blessing or, or what they call a Holy Spirit baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that tongues will accompany that second baptism. You might be saved, but you have not kind of had this second tier of blessing from the Spirit, But I'll just put it like this. Simply put, continuationists believe that tongues are available as a gift uh, for the church today. Then third, this is what I've always claimed for myself, cautious continuationists. That's, it's kind of a, it's cheating at some level to put yourself in that category. Uh, This has actually also been known as the modified position. There are lots of different ways that different people have uh, wrote this position down, but this is what this position believes. We really don't see a biblical precedent that the gifts have ceased. Um, But we're also cautious 
of how many modern churches use the gifts in seemingly unbiblical ways. So cautious continuationists. I dump all that theology on you before we jump into our text today uh, because this is confusing. Some of this stuff is really confusing. So I don't know where you land on these things, but uh, let's work now through the text and see if we can't uh, figure out what Paul says about tongues. Next week, just for your knowledge, we're gonna hear a bunch about prophecy in this passage. I am not gonna try and handle uh, the gifts of prophecy and tongues on the same weekend, right? You would need a mind diaper if I did that. Like it's just, it's too much. It would go badly. So, so next week we're going, we're going back and, and redoing 1 Corinthians. 14 again, but from the edge of prophecy. Today from, for tongues, next week for prophecy. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 14, here we go. I know that was the longest thing intro ever. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, there's that word, glossa, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Okay, uh, let's use those first five verses as, as uh, a means for us to create something of a working definition of the non-missiological version of tongues, okay? Uh, let's work into this. This is not speaking and someone else hearing in their own language, okay? This, is, this seems to be different, okay? Uh, this is, I like the, the word prayer language. This seems to be more of a prayer language. Some call it an, an angelic language because of one reference earlier in the text. I don't think that's probably apt. I don't know that angels speak an angelic language. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. It's a lot of, a lot of speculation going on there, but I'll call it a prayer language. Here's the working definition that I've got, okay? Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in a language not understood by the speaker, that seems to be the most concise definition that I can come up with. It is prayer or praise spoken in a language not understood by the speaker. So when you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God. That's the prayer or praise part. That's what the, the text says. It's one way that this dif differs from prophecy. Okay, God speaks to his people through prophecy. We speak to God through tongues. And, and tongue, that tongue is unknown to the speaker. The text says, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. This is why it's a little different than tongues missiologically being used, because no one understands what this guy's saying or gal is saying. So it's a, it's a prayer or a praise in a language not understood by the speaker. And as you can see, this seems I think, to be done normally in private. Okay, it seems to be useful for the building up of the individual. That's what Paul says, rather than the building up of the church. Now, we're going to get into that at length in coming verses, but uh, that's the working definition. Prayer or praise spoken in a language not understood by the speaker. Now, let's look at verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you 
unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. If even lifeless, lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So Paul, he starts by illustrating what tongues are like, and he says that they are something that's indistinct. Indistinct is the word he uses. So uh, I thought of it this way. It's like when my five-year-old plays piano, okay? So often uh, my five-year-old will say, Daddy, let me play you a song, and she'll go to our piano, and then she'll proceed to play something like this. That's tongues. And also, man, I hope she's good at math, right? Like, uh, but, but, but that's, I think that's kind of like tongues. Tongues are indistinct. Unless you're playing a song or unless you're uh, having an interpretation, it's just, it's just a mass of notes that may or may not work together. And thus, Paul seems to be implying here that these are not normally meant to uplift the corporate body. That tongues are not normally meant to be a part of the regular gathering for the uplifting of the body, but rather are normally for the edification of the speaker alone. That seems to be what's going on here. And Paul's main point in that section of text is that, that the gifts, all of the gifts, all of the manifestations of the spirit, they're to be used to build up the church. It's great if it builds yourself up, but the question you ask about gifts is, do they build up the body? And Paul seems to say, prophecy builds up the body, tongues does not without interpretation. So it's not that tongues are bad. It doesn't seem that Paul is down like anti-tongues here. It's just, he's, he's saying that they can be used improperly. And he seems to be implying that they are being used improperly in the church at Corinth. Let's look at verse 13, Okay. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise. There's the prayer and praise part, okay? I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person 
is not being built up. So, so what Paul is just saying here is that like speaking in a tongue, kind of babbling out in a tongue is, a, is of no help to the gathered church. Like no one's being built up in that, which again is what the gifts are meant to do. They're meant to build up the church. But, but just again, so you know that Paul is not anti-tongues. He's not anti-tongues. Look at verse 18, okay? Verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. You don't get to say that unless you're the Apostle Paul, right? I thank God that I am so much more spiritual than all of you. I speak in tongues more than any of you, right? You don't get to do that unless you're on your job description. It says Bible writer, right? If you write Bible, you can say that, but nobody else gets to. But I want you to remember, this is an indictment on the Corinthians, who think that they're uber spiritual because they're speaking in tongues. And he's like, hey, I'm thanking God that I speak tongues more than all y'all. He's putting them in their place. He's like, if you want to play this game, I've got you beat. I mean, I'll speak some tongue right now. Let's go. That seems to be Paul's position. And then verse 19, he says, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That is hyperbole, okay? 10,000 is the highest number in the Greek language. So essentially he's saying, I'd rather speak almost nothing that's intelligible, but very few words than speak infinite amounts of words in a tongue. All day long, Paul will choose in the church intelligible words rather than tongues. Now he, he really starts to rebuke them in verses 20 and following. He says, brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it's written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and the outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Yeah, that was my experience. Verse 24, but if all prophesy and, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convinced by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So Paul, he picks up in where he kind of left off in, in chapter 13 by calling out the Corinthians' immaturity. He does the same thing. He says, don't be children in your thinking. Okay, it's childish, he would say, to believe that displaying certain gifts means that you are somehow more mature or more spiritual or on a different level than somebody who does not. He says, that's foolish. That's childish. The gift of tongues, hear me, is not a sign of one's spirituality or maturity. Nowhere in the Bible do we get that. The, they thought that they, uh, th this gift elevated them in some sort of like status level before God, made them feel closer to God. But Paul's like, hey, that's immature. Just because you can speak in tongues does not mean you are mature. Maturity is when you find your identity in Christ and then you use your gift to build up the body. It's, it's not that you just got the, this one really awesome gift that you think is super cool. 
Then Paul quotes Isaiah 28, and I don't have time to really go into this too deeply. You can send me questions if you have them. But suffice it to say, tongues and prophecy, they have their place in the life of the individual Christian and in the work of evangelism. I I really, I wish I had time to dig into that, but we don't. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So, so there's the prescription from Paul. There's the order from Paul. There's the instruction from Paul on how we practice the gift of tongues. He says, if you have a tongue, like right now, if you have a tongue and there are no interpreters, I don't know how you find an interpreter, but you got to find one, okay? But if you have a tongue and you don't have an interpreter, then you need to keep silent. That's what he says. It doesn't mean that that tongue is wrong. It just means it's meant to be used privately, not publicly. And then if there is someone with an interpretation, again, I don't know how exactly you find that, but maybe you find that somehow and you've got an interpretation. Even then, it's not this mass of people just talking in tongues together at the same time. He says two, at the most three. Paul never gets that that instructive with us. He never gives us really clear, like here, two guys, maybe a third. And that's it. He's making a case here about what I think tongues are in the corporate assembly. And so uh, theologian Wayne Grudem, uh, who's a great systematic theologian, he puts it like this. I just thought this was helpful. He says this, tongues require a high degree of self-control. And there's no support to the idea that Paul thought of tongues as ecstatic speech of some kind. Tongues are not ecstatic, but self-controlled. That's, that's how Wayne Grudem talks about the practice of tongues in the gathering. Now, I'm going to skip over the next few verses. Uh, we'll cover those next week. Uh, I want you to jump down to Paul's concluding thoughts in verse 33, and then uh, we'll look at the very end of this passage. Verse 33 says this, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then verse 39, down to verse 39 So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So we'll get into the rest of the passage next week about prophecy. Uh, we, will, we will deal with that. But here's what I want to do. I want to make a few concluding thoughts about speaking in tongues from this uh, passage with the remainder of our time. Three points. Point number one. We should not forbid speaking in tongues. This is why I'm not a cessationist. It just seems to me in the text that, that tongues still operates today. I mean, goodness, I actually wish it didn't. Honestly, it'd be way simpler. If this crazy gift was just like not happening anymore, it'd be much easier. My job would be way easier. 
I would have to find an interpreter. That'd be great because there's no such thing as tongues, right? But that doesn't seem to be in the text, okay? I just can't get away from what I'm seeing in the text. And what I see is that this is a spiritual gift and that God does give it to some of his people. Not all, but some. So if you do speak in tongues in how you pray and praise the Lord, we're not going to be the ones, I'm not going to be the one to judge it, okay? But we will, however, insist that you abide by the rules that Paul lays down in 1 Corinthians 14 as it relates to corporate stuff, okay? I'm not going to forbid you to speak tongues here or in private, but, but certainly we're going to follow some protocol. We are going to be cautious continuationists. That's how I will want us to practice. Point number two here, speaking in tongues is not a sign of maturity. This is where I will not veer into some of what I think are the harder continuationist positions for us. But Paul seems to be very clear here that tongues is not a sign that always accompanies conversions. It's not a sign of a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, nor is it some sort of marker of like a varsity level of faith. I don't see that in the text. In fact, he calls that stance immature. He calls that immature. So again, if you have the gift of tongues, you might be mature. You might not. And even if you do not have the gift of tongues, you might be immature. But I don't think it has anything to do with the tongues. You just might be childish. Speaking in tongues is not a sign of Christian maturity. Finally, point three, desiring to speak in tongues is good. Desiring to build up the church is better. Listen, Paul seems to have spoken in tongues. I'm, I'm praise God that I speak tongues more than all y'all, right? Like that's, that's, that's awesome. He speaks in tongues and frankly, he seems to want us to speak in tongues. That's what he says, right? Verse five, now I want you all to speak in tongues. The Greek word for all is all. It means all, right? I want for all to speak in tongues. So I'll say this, desiring to speak in tongues is good. That's a good desire. But desiring to build up the church is better. It's better. Verse 12, uh, since you are eager for the manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Okay, verse 26, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So, so hear me, it's okay to desire, like even earnestly desire this gift. But it is sinful to despise the gifts that you've been given because you want another one. You have, you have been, if you're a Christian, you have been given a gift. You have a spiritual gift and it is not good for you to go around and just say, well, since I don't have that gift or this gift, since, since I don't have the one that I want, I'm just not gonna use mine because it's not the gift I want. What God wants you to do rather is to interact with the spirit and offer yourself to be used by the spirit for the good of the church in whatever way he gifts you. So let me end with this. We're out of time. Let me end with this. I have never spoken in tongues. Okay? God has not given me that spiritual gift. But, but listen to me here, okay? 
I want it. Like, if there's more intimacy to be had with Christ in a personal prayer language, like if there's more to be had in intimacy with Christ, then sign me up for that. Okay, I want more. I want it. So hear me, I have prayed, I've asked God for the gift of tongues. I've even tried to do it. Anybody else willing to admit in the car by themselves, they've tried this? I've tried it, okay? I've tried it by myself back in high school after that experience at that church. Like I, I tried, I was in my car and I just tried to, you know, one, one guy said, say banana backwards. I don't know, and a banana. You know, like, I don't know, I just tried it. I tried to muster up the gift of tongues in my Subaru. It's, it's not how it's supposed to work, I don't think, right? Listen, I've watched videos on it. I've watched, go YouTube it. You'll see some crazy stuff. I've watched videos. I've tried that, okay? I've been to charismatic churches beyond just the one that I went to in high school. I've been surrounded by people praying in tongues, even though I don't think that may be a legitimate biblical expression of tongues. But in that moment, I've even said, hey, God, if you want me to speak in tongues, like, I'm open to it. Just, just let me do it. But I think if you have to muster it up on your own, you're not doing it, right? Like, I just knew I was trying to force the issue. And then, and this has been through my whole journey as a believer, but then two years ago, uh, I was reading another book on these charismatic gifts. Uh, and so I just, again, I realized I hadn't prayed for it for a while. So I was like, I'm going to pray for tongues. So I started praying for tongues again. And again, it just didn't come. It just didn't come. And I have friends and colleagues who do speak in tongues and I'm convinced by the text that this does exist. And yet I felt as, as I was praying for tongues, I felt God, as I was reading this book, say to me, hey, you got preaching. You got leadership. You don't get them all. And I'm like, but I want that one, right? Like a child at Christmas. I want that one. And I just heard God rebuke me gently saying, buddy, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Use what you have to build up my church. And here's what I know from the Bible, okay? You have been given a gift, a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And that means that you, every single one of you made in the image of God, empowered by the indwelling spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, you have a gift. Maybe it's administration. Maybe it's works of service. Maybe it's teaching and preaching. Maybe it's tongues, but you have been gifted. You have been brought to our church for whatever reason you are here because we need to dash more of what you have to be all that God wants us to be. So here's what this all means. If you're a member, if you're a regular attender of Fathom Church, God brought you here, not simply because we have a bunch of things for you, like to consume, which we do. And those are good but rather he brought you here also because you have something that God wants to make us more fully what he plans for us to be. So this is again, a talk on tongues, but it's a talk on gifts. And I'll say, it, I said it a few weeks ago, who wants to play? Who wants to play? That's what this whole passage I think is about. Let's pray together. Lord, we do bless you.
uh, this is weird. Uh, speaking in tongues seems very strange, specifically to us in a modern, post-enlightenment, Western kind of framework. These things feel very uh, out of the ordinary. And Lord, I pray that as we saw in the text, that we would, we would desire maybe even to speak in tongues, but we would desire more the gifts that would, that would build up the body. God, if you have tongues for us, I pray that you would give us those and we would practice those in a way that brings glory and honor to you and uplifts the church, not in chaos, but in order. Lord, I do pray for those things, but, but Father, more I pray that your church is built up, that those who sit on the sidelines might get in the game, that those who feel like their gift is not special enough or important enough or needed enough would take very seriously the words of Paul to the Corinthians that all gifts are necessary for the upbuilding of the church and that we, Father, would be a stronger church because of it. Lord, we bless you today. Holy Spirit, we believe that you speak and that you work and we ask for more of that in our lives manifested however you want. So Lord, we love you, we bless you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.